Hello, everyone. This is Unsung Kim and Kim Wen, and this is something in the crumb. Something in the crumb. Something in the crumb. <laughs> we um, our mood today is we give up on planet Earth. We're not into it. Yeah, it's just it's so rude, <laughs> and we're over it. And the only thing that is giving us life right now. Is recording this podcast for all of you, and you are mostly our friends, or literally <laughs> our family members, and then young women who live uh, across 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 the large continent of Asia. So yeah, we see you and we appreciate you. Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> so hello and thank you for joining us once more. Um, okay, so the 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 podcast topic for today is we're going to talk about romance is the bonus book. Yes, which I'm not entirely certain if this is true, um, but it does seem like it is a Korean version of uh, the American show Younger, or a variation of. Um, she doesn't lie Which, about her age, but it might as well. She's not lie about her age. Yeah, it's an upgraded younger. You know, it is an upgraded younger. It's a more complicated version of younger, um, in which uh, a woman who recent divorcee, a mother, uh, used to work in marketing, took um, a gap in her professional career because she was raising her child. Um, and has to go back into the workforce and uh, is, encounters a lot of problems um, getting hired at any of these companies, despite the fact that she was really successful when she started out in her career, um, because there is this gap um, in her job history, um, which, is, which is what leads her to ultimately um, lie about uh, her, her education. Um, and her previous experience in order to get a more entry-level contract position at this um, publishing company, just to get her foot in the door and to start um, working again. And the publishing company uh, was one of the co-founders, is her childhood friend. Um, Gotta have a childhood friend in there, you know. It is childhood friend slash, enough. you know, potential future lover. I mean, <laughs> it is a very... Very common K-drama scenario. <laughs> Except in this drama, in in the in their world, they're like five years apart, right? She's thirty-seven. Yes, yes. He's thirty-two. She's thirty-seven. He is thirty-two. Um, they know each other actually because when they were children, he almost got hit by a car, and she like pushes him out of the way and saves his life. But then she spends a year in the hospital with all of her legs and arms broken. Um, and then they become, they develop this like friendship and this, this little boy basically brings her books and she bosses him around to get her snacks. And that is, that is their, that is the, the start of their, um, their lifelong friendship. And, uh, it, he credits this moment, one, his life being saved, but two, having to read her, read to her in the hospital as his gateway into literature 
because he becomes himself a best-selling successful writer slash co-owner of a publishing company in real life she is what what did you say 11 years older than him yes in real life he is 30 and she is 41 she looks great (laughs) yeah they, they both look great i mean he grows on you he grew on me. Yeah. Yeah. He, we will, we will discuss this, uh, later on in this episode. Um, but he may be perhaps in this universe, uh, the most emotionally available man we've encountered, uh, throughout all uh, of our television viewing, maybe. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Drama. I think that is entirely possible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, and you know, I think that we can talk about how this is also um, maybe an example of when it's not the man's fantasy of this relationship versus like a woman's fantasy about it. Um, But he's very impressive. He grows on you. It's kind of amazing. His emotional competency is quite high. (laughs) And by quite high, we just mean it exists. And this could be also how, um, I was saying that it's like we might be like the alien for from my love from the star where we've watched so many of these shows that we've devolved to a point in which this man is considered the gold standard just simply because he has emotions and is able to articulate them at all, I guess. Um, so maybe that's how we will discuss the, the- this like will break down the characters for you in this first episode, and then the second one will go through a more detailed um, episode. And I should say, as a disclaimer, I have actually not seen uh, the full series. Kim has, but I have not. Just finished. Yes. yes, very exciting. But we basically wrote an essay worth of notes in our shared doc about this podcast. And so we figured we should just go ahead and record one because, you know, as someone who studies literature, I rarely am that interested in the plot ever. Um, <laughs> That's really, I mean, if you've made it this far, 10 episodes in, and you think that we're that invested in plot. <laughs> yeah. We're mostly going to talk about the character of the show and then the environment, which we thought was of genuine interest. Uh, to us, but also everything we've been discussing so far and our current world. You know, everything from like David Graeber's notion of bullshit jobs to more mm-hmm. critiques of capitalism and gender mm-hmm. and so forth. So, should we talk about her character first a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she comes out when we first meet her, she. You know, her life is very, um, it's a shambles, effectively. Like, her, her, uh, ex-husband, well, actually, the first, the very first episode, it's, um, her having second thoughts about marrying, um, the man that she ultimately marries and considers running away, um, but she goes through with it, which is a huge mistake, (laughs) um, and, Uh, But when, you know, in the present day, she essentially um, is broke. She doesn't have a job. Her uh, child is in, like, a boarding school kind of situation, um, and she needs to pay money for the tuition. Her ex-husband had cheated on her, 
and ran off and claimed that he was penniless, so had no money for alimony um, or for um, to help pay for his child in any way. And she is living in their previous home, um, even though it is like set for demolition and has no water and electricity. Um, but she's going on just like countless job interviews. And we just see her meeting um, all these people who basically say that why should she get this job? Because she took seven years off or what, however long it was um, and that everyone else has been working this entire time. And clearly uh, more like they're just more entitled to those positions because they didn't take time off as if uh, the work or the labor associated with motherhood is just not it doesn't count of course but also like the one thing you know uh continuous employment entitles one to more employment which we understand (laughs) is actually not true like we're seeing it right now in action so that logic doesn't even work but you know besides that um it's very upsetting it's that that scene is very upsetting when she interviews with that woman and the woman is just like you got to be kidding me like it's as if it was sort of like a slap in the face of all people who have been continuously employed <laughs> like how dare you yeah. how dare you even consider that you would be like that you are um in a position to even apply for this job and even exactly. think that you should have it and, um and-, and so she she you know and she's just like doesn't know what to do she's gone on like 90 interviews or something and feels incredibly alone and does not um, her childhood friend uh, slash future lover, <laughs> um, you know that scenario. Uh, she they've kind of drifted apart as well um, over recent years because he also really just detested uh, how she was in her relationship. Really detested the ex husband. It's like even though he continued to love her, it was just like too difficult um, to kind of be witness to how she was being treated. And so she really, when we first encounter her, she really feels um, quite alone. I mean, she's supposed to be pathetic, right? Like, and I think like, so there's a scene where uh, in one of the interviews she encounters, there's a woman who's in, there's a woman who interviews her and essentially in the bathroom comes up to her and says, how dare you? You know, yeah. uh, and I thought what was also implied was like the woman who has this corporate job, you know, quote unquote, gave up some notion of marriage, heteronormative marriage or family or something for this career. And so, like, are do you not understand that these are the choices that you made? So how dare you? I thought like that was what was also yeah. part of what was implied. But I mean. The character that she is, the the main characters sort of what we're presented with is like this pathetic, broke people pleaser who can't say no to anyone, everyone from her husband to her daughter. Because it's on one level, like we see a scene where her daughter is like basically asking, making sure that she can go to this elite boarding school and her mom is like yeah instead of being like actually the situation is that you can't I mean like no one gets any sort of 
honesty from her, including, I think, almost to herself. Like, she's just, like, living in, like, a state of denial where she's, like, everything's fine. This is fine. I can make everything work, even though, like, clearly nothing is working. Um, Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I think that, and she's, but she is different than the pathetic of, like, uh, our character from Something in the Rain. Oh, yeah. Because that, her, um, and we could talk about this just in terms of the self-actualization and the difference of those stories, but, like, she, in this show, um, she starts out being, like, yes, hyper-pathetic, you know, like, even the daughter who barely appears in the show, thank God, (laughs) Um, she... Like, I think when she's, like, a kid at one point, like, has, like, a fit and, like, takes a coffee or some sort of beverage and, like, chucks it on the floor. And then her mother, instead of, like, saying, like, maybe that's a bad idea, she just kind of is, like, oh, is, like, something I can do for you? And, like, just to, like, show, like, how much of a people pleaser she is um, in this extreme way that, like, and it's actually, like, one of the saddest scenes you know where like she thinks back on her life and like her dynamic with her husband where she's just like a cleaning lady you know or like she cooks like she cooks for like all these people and she eats alone in the kitchen while everyone else is having a good time she's cleaning for everybody this like drunken husband you know like just like bosses her around it's she just basically yeah it's like all about people pleasing um but that like we're also supposed to believe that she is so pathetic, and the only thing that will resolve this is if she gets a job. A job. So this is what we and the really... job makes her less pathetic. Right. Okay. So this is what we're what this is what we really want to talk about, dear friends, family members, <laughs> and listeners, is that this we thought that this show was a superb, stellar example of. A narrative that is pretty prevalent in all neoliberal capitalist societies where one's self-actualization and one's identity is is fundamentally linked to not one's work, but one's place of employment, right? So, like, mm-hmm. it's presented from the very onset that, you know, it's not that the work of motherhood or the labor of motherhood was not difficult. It just didn't. It did not satisfy her. It did not lead to self-actualization for whatever reason, right? Like, because the people, you know, I, and I think that that's actually a really, really fraught dynamic. Like, what about that position for her? Could she not protect? And maybe that's like a totally separate space, but she couldn't find it there. And she's actually, it doesn't actually even seem like she's that interested in being a mother anymore. That's why her kid doesn't appear. What she's really it is so not like it is complete. It's not. It's not what drives her. No, at all. Her, what drives her is like this quest to become a person, and she mm-hmm. becomes a person by being like an entry level employee at a mid sized publishing firm. Which is, Kim, it's, Kim, you take it. Like, yeah. I mean, it's her job is also just being a people pleaser. Exactly. <laughs> It's like, you know, so that jump of like, you know, development into a type of personhood where it's like, I have found myself and like, that was who you were before. <laughs> the difference perhaps is that you're appreciated sometimes. Yes. Sometimes. Sometimes. But, 
but also like her workplace is um you know her workplace is just like we'll talk more about this after you know just like workplaces in general incredibly fraught and incredibly um full of all these like like hierarchies all these power dynamics all of these things that even though like she is just like i am coming into being in this place there's a lot of forces that are just like but you need to stay in your place exactly (laughs) at the same time um and i think one of the interesting things that she says about like why she's like so happy and that you know that she has this job and everything's great and she describes it as being like i finally have a name and it's it's this you know this moment of just being like that she was this like unnamed person in some capacity so they have like this uh you know flashback to how like her daughter calls her mom her uh husband called her honey or just like you you know and that like she didn't have a name and then and then she feels great now like it cuts to the current current time where it's like she feels great because someone is like calling her name to water the plants and to like get <laughs> copy <laughs> copy paper and then she's like i am seen <laughs> yeah and kim texted me and was like yeah to do someone's errand like someone said your name so that you would drop off the dry cleaning like this isn't like yeah. a, like an advancement in your personhood but it is true perhaps you are more compensated at the corporate job I mean barely so than clearly I mean you're not receiving any alimony and you barely could eat while you were a mother so I I do think that there is something to be said that like it's so um, seductive I think that this narrative because you don't want her to be a people pleaser who feels like everyone can walk all over her. You want her to be actualized, maybe, I don't know. That's a separate conversation. But like, <laughs> I mean, if she, if, if like that's what she wants, like you want something for her, but then to just witness her essentially shift commitment from her familial space to a corporate space did yeah. really make me think, I mean, Kim and I were like, talking about this together that you know like actualization through work is so seductive and dangerous at the same time and simultaneously especially for her character it's almost like she thinks like this is it and so her relationships like be it personal or romantic they don't really exist or she she thinks it's like secondary tertiary um and then i i was like sort of thinking like in this framework like political ethical spiritual actualizations don't do not even appear in the horizon you know it's like she figures out her place of work and then she eventually i'm assuming it ends up with someone who likes her more than her husband well because the the company becomes the familial actualization for her, right? Like that, that is like, like, (laughs) like the family, her family is the company now. Like that, like she's completely, you know, divorced herself from these things where it's like, that's why like the daughter is just like so irrelevant. Like it's not even, she barely comes into play as like a plot device to like give you insight as to like, 
why she needs to do this, which I, which actually, you know, maybe is an interesting um, counter to like something like younger or something or versus like, you know, in, like an American version of this kind of story where they have to like kind of do almost a more like Puritan, like, you know, family kind of narrative as to like why she needs to do this and go to extreme somehow um, versus like here where it's like, you don't actually need that part or something, or they just like, don't like, it's not like she has to emphasize that it's like, I need to do this. Like she never at any point, like when, even when it comes out, when it comes out that um, she's lied about, about her past experience, um, she never even, she never uses the daughter as an excuse or anything. She never says that like, I was the single mom and I needed to pay for my kid and I needed to get a job. Like she actually doesn't even, like, that's just not a part of it. She was like, I just really believed in books and I want to work hard. I think that's like, that's like her response or something. And then she just figured that if she worked really hard, it didn't matter. Right. That like, and it was like this meritocracy or something where it's like, if I just worked hard and I proved myself, it didn't matter that I lied to get in. Like, that's what it was. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you brought this up before that the, it, it is really like eerie and unbecoming that her sort of self-actualization through the corporate not even ladder it's just like the corporate space to exist in it is simultaneously the mid-sized company's approach to the corporate space so they talk about themselves as family they have no boundaries like you know let's talk about what it means to you know hire people to 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 do like the the bidding of your life like it's it's just like one form of gender labor in one space to a different form of gender labor in a mm-hmm. different space but then you justify the exploitation the abuse the uncompensated labor through the discourse of family which is like fuck yes. you like fuck that yes. you know i the mid-size the mid-size company the mid-size organization it is one of the like the worst is the worst you know because they can somehow sustain that right like they can sustain this like idea that at the scale at the scale that they're at they're like but we are somehow we are more noble that we are like that we are a family that and like you see it play out in the show so much where the president is just like cares about the bottom line cares about money kind of hates some of his staff all this stuff but then also be like, everybody, let's go for lunch together. And we are all together. And we did this together. And like, there's all this familial shit. And it's just like, all it does is just makes people, I mean, it just confuses the fuck out of everybody. Yeah. Because it confuses you. It guilts you. It's like, and then it also is a, just a very, like a type of gaslighting too, right? Where you yeah, are absolutely. like, I'm being screwed over here. I am being screwed over here. And then it's like, but wait maybe I should like have more empathy for this situation or maybe I should like, you know, like it's, it does this whole, it's just like one of the grossest things I think about um, these kinds of organizations. And I don't think if they're more common than not. And I think this goes back to that question of which is more evil, right? Like when you work at a large corporation, when you work at some of these things that people like understand that kind of evil, and then there's this kind of evil, which is still evil, but because it's of its scale, it like uses 
it uses the lunch, it uses the, the weekends, it uses those things in ways that are very different. There's a lot of times on the show where people are working overtime, um, where they're getting called in to do stuff. And it's because they just like, they just love books, you know? They just like really believe in their jobs. Um, they really believe in like the kind of work they're doing. You know, going back to that kind of nobility about like, it's so important to make like, to make these books and like share this knowledge with the world. I mean, and to just emphasize the point that we brought up in Crash Landing, like this is not a co-op. <laughs> this is not a co-op. <laughs> this is not a Don't co-op. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, this is not a co-op. There is no salary, salary transparency. It's not like, you know, the CEO is being paid as much as the entry level staff. Like there are clear, clear hierarchies class hierarchies. there are clear hierarchies and clear like there are um company rules very specific company rules that punish people <laughs> yes so it is very much a, a another sort of patriarchy where there is a father at the top and then there are like children at the bottom and i think this is where we could go into the fact that like the entry-level position part of what they wanted was like a quote unquote inexperienced person so that they could train this person ground up. So it, it became a thing where her lack of experience is what they wanted mm-hmm. essentially so that they could, you know, make her do exactly what they wanted with no comparison. And it's, it's like this, it's that virgin narrative, right? Yeah. Of like, um, I think, I don't know how I said it. It was like that basically, you know, you don't find your identity. It's given to you. It's given and to you. I think yeah. that this is, this is how, like, one of the things that's like the most egregious to them was that she had experience effectively, that she had something else that she was not someone that was completely molded in the way the way this company operates and so they want they wanted to hire people that it's like you um you come here we train you and you stay here forever because that's how it works and they actually talk about how they don't hire people from other companies because it's like you can't it's like you can't untrain them like they've got they basically have learned the ways of another place and it's just like it doesn't work um so it's like it that experience is not to her favor it's actually like it looks better that she is nobody so that they can just like make her into whoever they want her to be but she's grateful for this in some ways because she already thinks that everyone thinks she's a nobody right so like that's what she thinks is the end result of her failed job interviews that she is nobody because she doesn't have any work experience so in some strange way like she agrees she's like well i might as well just cut up my degrees because they don't mean anything i don't have any oh my god it's so crazy she literally does this you guys i was like you can lie about it but i don't know why you have to cut up these papers i I do think it's supposed to show that she's fully committed to being yeah the quote virgin like the nobody right like she i she's like okay well i am not i don't have like that I will accept that I go into this place as someone without any experience, including degrees, right? Like she can't even have a degree. And that's her explanation as to why she hasn't worked for seven years. And so when 
Kim says, like, your identity is given to you. It's like, it's part of like her desire to search for sub-identity outside of motherhood, which mm -hmm. that's like a, like. It's, it's nuts, right? Yeah. That she's just like, that you don't get to like, I mean, I wish, right? Like we wish all the time that it's just like, let's just shred these documents and start new. It's like, sorry, no. Like you actually have a kid, you know, this kid's like 12 or whatever. Sorry, you are divorcee. Sorry, like yeah, like all of these things happen to you. And she's just like, I'll just go ahead and shred this and I'm a new person <laughs> and that's it. And I walk away and I start over and it's like, quitting is not a thing, but. <laughs> And the thing Good is, luck to you. Yeah, and the thing is, is that, like, we say this with, like, a lot of respect for people who are continuously engaged in reproductive labor. So it's, like, it's not like, you know, it's a travesty that yeah. her experience as a mother is not taken seriously. And it's a travesty that she feels this character feels like the only way in which she can find meaning in her life is through a corporation, right? Like a, like a mid-sized corporation. That's a travesty. And the fact that like you have to essentially lie about the fact that you might have had a family abandoned but or it's otherwise. Like, it's, not, it's not even just like a lie. It's erasure. Yes. You know, like it's, like it's not even enough to just like pretend that or just like not mention it in the office or like you know, avoid it or whatever. It's like, it's erasure. It's like, you actually have to like eliminate this from your life in order for this to happen. Yeah. That, that is the part that's just like so sad. And you're like, patriarchy is just garbage. I can't. It's garbage because it's like, rather than it being like, I mean, and I'm not saying like, I'm saying it, we're both saying it would be unrealistic in a K-drama for her to whip <laughs> out. Like, who's looking for realism in a K-drama? Yeah, we're Holy not looking else. for realism. We're not looking for her to write some kind of academic treatise on, like, you know, an, another critique of the erasure of reproductive labor. Like, that is not what is being suggested. But what is being suggested is that it is so kind of almost um, fluidly presented that the injustice yeah. of her... Her actual life, right, like including the way that she raised her child and her marriage has to be erased, that it was not worthy work or it was not the work that could give her any sense of actualization. But it is through the mid-sized publishing firm in which she will actually become independent, emotionally mature, uh, think for herself, et cetera, et cetera, which is really kind of it parallels the way in which like hyper individualism operates in our current you know crappy universe but also it just it's a very it's it's a, it's such a simplified understanding of how complex actualization even is and so it's like this other sort of way in which like you just feel like comforted like oh if you just found like a the right job if you found the right career path then like you'll you'll be okay You'll, you'll feel okay when it's like, no, like the jobs that you have exist within a structure predicated upon injustice, global transnational injustice. The fact that like you have to continuously be working 
to potentially not die is Mm -hmm. an act of transnational injustice. Like there's like no nobility in in any kind of um, in any kind of like that is actually where nobility and ethics and like morality or any any sense of um, even like collective community should exist but like (laughs) that's where it seems like it only exists so it's just kind of like it's so it, it was like so baffling how normalized it was presented like oh don't you know that what's missing from your life is a sense of community aka the people you work with who exploit you who um don't pay you enough who you know lie to you and who actually want you for the wrong reasons that is the part that's like really so harsh too you know where it's like you don't really have friends like it's not like your actualization is about like yeah developing community like there's no there's no moment in which it's like maybe you were also really miserable because you had only that one friend and you somehow alienated him during this time because you were feeling like you had a really difficult time and you you were not an emotional competency yourself to a, like to be able to communicate that with your closest friend and you felt incredibly alone and that the only thing like you can also see like how it like builds probably for her yeah. like the resentment right of like that I I chose to leave work I like we are led to believe that she was quite successful when she left work. She was someone that won awards. Like it was like, she was on a trajectory in which the woman that becomes, uh, who's like her boss at this publishing firm, the director, that woman, I think there's like a comment at one point where it's like, she could have been that woman by now. Like that could have been her job or, or something along those lines. And and you and know, it's like there's a resentment kids. that she has yeah. that, like, has also, and you know, going back to what we talked about with my love from the star about like misery, you know, where it is like a kind of misery that it's like the only in your mind, because of that resentment, the only thing, the only thing that will like resolve this is I need to like work at this company, basically. Yeah. I mean, and, and that the director woman is very clearly someone who's supposed who's supposed to be almost her opposite, where yeah. she all she did was work, and she doesn't have you know she's not married, she doesn't have kids, and she's rich, and she's the director, and she you know takes the ideas of the people below her, and she's a little miserable, very vapid, so you know that's but she's her superior and i think that like the workplace we were talking about how like other unlike something in the um, in the rain the workplaces where the workplace just was filled full of people who uh would who were not hesitant to turn on you at any point like there were no there were no like enemies or allies it was just like everyone Everyone existed on their own and everyone exploited you and everyone would step on you. And, and, you know, the main character of something in the rain, she left just kind of being like, that is what it is. Like, it was not a triumph. It was not a letdown. It was like, this is, I did as much as I could. 
I tried to resolve what I could and it was not resolved. And now I will leave because I have done enough. But here, there are some people within this mid-sized publishing firm who are like, who believe in this kind of like literature or art is noble. So like, that is why I will. <laughs> Culture. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is why I will work overtime. And that is why I will exploit myself to work more and to do better. Um, versus like some people who will not necessarily, or like they, they're a little bit just more insidious about kind of, how they go about their jobs. Yeah, what were you gonna say? Well, the, in Something in the Rain, she, it's it's actually, I think, I don't think it's actually that she thinks that she has done enough or that she's like, she accomplished what she could. I think that she came to understand that this place is what it is. Yes. And I cannot, like, I, like it's not going to change. The yeah. only thing that can change is that I have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And so I leave. And I think that that's like one of the things that, I mean, it's probably closer to where, where we're at always, yeah. you know, but I think that's the difference with this one where they don't, they don't, it, it is a blurring of that, right? Like they don't see that as being like, I think there's parts um, in the beginning of the series where, you know, they're just like work is work. And if you, if you don't like it, like just what it is, what it is, but they, because of that kind of like false nobility, because of that sort of like familial sort of guilt that exists, I think that these characters are portrayed as people that just, they believe in it. Yeah. They believe in, you know, they believe in this organization, they believe in the company and, and something in the rain, it was like a complete falling out, like disenchantment of it. Yes. Like this is not going to work, you know? And, and this one, it, it, it's more about like going back to what you were saying about um, how seductive these narratives are, you know, where you're like, Oh my God, like we're just supposed to believe that like there's, there are great workplaces. <laughs> there are great workplaces and that's where you go to become complete. Right. It's like, yes. like that's where you go to find yourself. It's, it, you know, it's as, um, as much of a it's like a capitalist fantasy like it's not a I mean it's like wrapped up in a kind of heteronormative patriarchal fantasy but it's absolutely a capitalist fantasy that you could just find a better place of employment that's that's always the thing though it's like you think oh this one isn't working we'll find another one we will find a better one we will just keep searching and it's like they're all garbage they're all, they're garbage. all garbage it's like just you pick which one you want big garbage you want small garbage you want like you want hot garbage cold garbage doesn't matter just all garbage like because i would say what's not garbage is a friendship that where the other person's inferiority and desires are taken seriously and maybe this is like one way we can start talking about like his character right like he he is portrayed as someone who's like invested and, and interested in her interiority as well as his own right so it's not like yes. self-sacrificial like he's like genuinely interested in his desires right so like rather than the capitalist fantasy of like work like just kind of going about and finding the form of uncompensated yet slightly compensated form of labor that completes you 
you know, what about friendships and what about relationships and what about community versus like the way that it's set up for her, especially in the beginning. I don't know, maybe it continues. Um, and it's like one of the few dramas where like the female character's emotional maturity is not just inferior to the male characters, but is like significantly inferior because she basically has this attitude that like, oh, I don't need anyone because no one is going to save me. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work, which is like, that's not what anyone said to you. That's not what a relationship mm -hmm. is. That's not what a partnership is. That's not what a friendship is. It's not like you meet someone and the re only reason to date them is because you think you're going to be rescued. But like already you reveal what it is that you think that everything else is other than the capitalist fantasy. Oh, yeah, she she is like she's so blinded to her corporate trajectory <laughs> that she cannot like she doesn't let in actually any um it's almost like a like willfully ignoring or like willfully like you know refusing to sort of see things that are actually very apparent yeah because i think that um those forms of support are illegible to her yeah or she took them for granted or you know whatever it is because i think especially when it comes to her childhood friend i think he's been so consistently there for her for so long i think that she actually these are things that are like have whether she like um willfully chose to ignore them or like not acknowledge them uh they're like indiscernible to her or something as if that like you know and it comes up a few times where he's just like when she has like a few dates or like she kind of has this like neighborhood crush um and he's like why are you so into this like why are you so into the fact that he like took you out for udon or why are you so into it that he just like did the very basic simple gesture of just like treating her as not even like in a romantic way just like as a friend would as a human being would and he's like why are you so like like he's like i I am someone that has been doing that like, yeah. and you don't see it. Like, and it's like, meanwhile, he's doing all kinds of things. Right. He's just like, she, like, she doesn't have a home. He like pays a bunch of money and Rano's this like home gym and turns it into a bedroom for her. And like buys her all of these like new clothes so that she doesn't look drab at work, gives her a makeover, like does all this stuff. And then she's just like my neighborhood friend. Wow. <laughs> like, but you, don't you think that's also really reflective of like how the one person who's really, really good to her, she can't notice him, just like the very people closest to her in her life, like her husband and her daughter cannot notice her. So in some yes. strange way, she, I do think that she perpetuates the very thing that she says she doesn't like which is like she, takes, she was conditioned she yeah. was conditioned under these yeah absolutely like she very much is ungrateful for to to her friend for a really long time like she just sort of she he is like there's a korean word for this like which is like he's like the only person that she feels really comfortable being herself around which also means that she, he is the person that he she feels like she could take advantage of so she takes yeah. advantage of the fact that, like, of course he would be okay with her staying over for three months in secret and then much longer <laughs> because, you know, well, she, you know, he's her friend. And then I'm like, 
your understanding of friendship is very different from his understanding of friendship. But also the kind of friend that you are does not make me does does not help me like at all in sympathizing actually with like anything about you because you say you don't like to be exploited, but like that's kind of what you're doing in your friendship. And then, you know, hopefully not future relationship, but that's how you've treated the only friend that we see you have. Like, he's it. Well, I think that he is actually, he's not even bothered by, um, it's like, or like not like entirely bothered by like that kind of exploitation. It's not like he, you know, he does want to be acknowledged, but it's not like he is, um, like I think he's like he's what he's actually upset about is the fact that she is and this goes back to the emotional um, availability he is emotionally available but she is so not that like she doesn't communicate yes. at all it's like like that's what he's actually really upset about where he's like I would be fine if you stayed in my attic and did whatever but you didn't even tell me yes. um, I would be fine if you needed to eat my food but you don't even tell me yeah. like it's actually like you're just being shady for no reason and the fact that I'm supposed to be the closest person to you but you're being shady with me like what is that about like that's the thing that like really upsets him more so than the fact that like she behaves like a maniac like like she can still do all those things but the fact that if she just told him that she was doing those things I think he would feel better about it it's that it's just like he is so much more open in terms of communication and I do but I do think like the way that she treats him is a reflection of the way that she used to treat herself in particular, which is like pretty classic, right? But also I think that this goes back to like how, you know, even she doesn't need to give speeches to like her, like her belief that if she were to date someone or she's like not interested in being rescued, the kind of friendship and the kind of relationship he seems to want to offer her is not rescue. It's just like support, which is like- It's totally just support. It's like. This is the point that Kim brought up. Like, we know he's, like, emotionally available and, might I dare add, mature because he just, he, like, sees her going through things. They're pretty shitty. But his, like, response is not, like, let me save you, which, like, is not possible. He's just, like, Mm -hmm. oh, that must have been hard. Let me just hear you. Let me witness you. Like, let me be here with you yeah like shitty things happen to her and he just he's just like he'll hug her he'll hold her or you know like it's it's like let's just have a meal together and then you express why this is upsetting to you and then he just listens but he doesn't like you know go out of his way to try and like fix her life for metal he doesn't like there is like a degree of boundary there that he kind of understands and it's just like it's not it's not that kind of, um, yeah, that kind of pathetic rescue narrative where it's like she's incapable of doing these things. That's why he, you know, shows his support. Yeah. Like, it's like he actually just, that's how he expresses his care, you know, is like, I'm just here for you. And Kim brought up how it's interesting because because he's actually emotionally available to his friend and then future girlfriend everyone else (laughs) thinks that he's well like but everyone else reads him as cold not because he's actually cold but because 
he's not a people pleaser. Like he doesn't yeah. go out of his way to do bullshit for strangers or to be like effervescent and like endlessly kind of, you know, kind to randos and even the people he works with. He has, it seems like pretty good boundaries for workplace. It's pretty, I'm telling you, this guy's gold standard. It's like very impressive. Basically, this is is like a true, this, (laughs) this is not a, this is not a misogynistic fantasy portrayal. That's what we're trying to say. Okay. Like, like crash landing, all the fear, all the all the men who've just like stood there, all the love stories where like some guy is like obsessed with you, but like he kind of stands there and doesn't say anything, or like is so repressed and doesn't say anything, and then just like fumbles over and like messes up the main character's life by trying to rescue her, which like actually is always more harmful than ever helpful. Um, that's not that's not a that's like really not a. That's a misogynistic fantasy. Like, an emotionally available man is a total fantasy of of mine. Or, like, emotionally available, like, people. Like, in general. Friends. I know. Relationships. We're both cancers. This is just, like, hard, 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 hard. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's how we should have framed this episode. Like, cancer fantasy podcast. Or, like, (laughs) like, romance is a bonus book is the cancer fantasy. Like, everybody, this is the blurb. Go watch it. Oh, my God. Um, I was going to say that I think that, well, it's it's interesting that he is the kind of person that he is, especially considering he is, like, a famous author. (laughs) He's, like, a very handsome, famous author, which I'm like, okay, in this universe, writers, like, famous like celebrities he goes to the mall people recognize him (laughs) like i don't know if any like do writers get recognized like that's that's news to me but i mean that is that is a literary fantasy for sure (laughs) um so cool um but you know you would think that he would have like this ego and all these things but uh, you know that's not that's not this storyline but going back to i think how how she treats him I think that one of the reasons why they um, present her relationship with him as such, it's like, it's to kind of show their, it's like that age gap and that kind of development, you know, like, you know, when, when they first became friends, you know, she's like lying in the bed, but she's bossing him around and telling him what to do. And he goes and gets stuff for her. And like, he's just kind of always been like there for her to like, uh, and she, you know, and there's moments where it's like a little bit mothery, which is kind of gross, you know, where she's like, turn off the bathroom light, like, take the slippers, like, you know, put them off the bathroom floor or whatever. And you're like, ew. <laughs> like that's... And so I think that we're supposed to also like, read that as a kind of like hangover yeah. of their kind of like, little brother, big sister, sort of dynamic too. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, which I, I don't know if it was entirely... Um, successful in the sense that you're ultimately your end game is to get them to be like super hot for each other yeah and watching some of those scenes are like not hot i can see why this is like why she's struggling to find that you know this is a thing because they and and it's real it's like you have many years many years of being in this kind of dynamic of like where you're like turn off the bathroom light and that i treat you like a little brother and I come to your house and eat all of your fried rice or whatever. Yeah. And like, and 
maybe like I'm like reading too much into it you know like the way that she treated his friendship but it just seemed like you know of course like the people like in some ways the one person who would actually really care for you and love you um not being able to recognize that like there was something there there was something like incredibly upsetting for me about that it was like Mm -hmm. you know the very thing that you're really upset you've been really upset with right like we don't really have to talk about her ex-husband who's like gaslight gaslight like central essentially like the worst the worst of the worst like overgrown overgrown man child um but part of the it seemed like the primary kind of what she felt was the injustice of her former life that she was able to rip up and throw away (laughs) you know like no more child no more husband um was the fact that she felt like her love was um, unacknowledged or like it was like through her love in which her exploitation occurred and it's like if you really hate that like and you have one friend like here's your chance you know like here's your chance but she doesn't but she doesn't understand love yeah right like that's that's part of it like she doesn't even understand what it is that she like that's how she like that's why he at that point you know when he says like years before they get married um, and like the friend sees the two of them together and he is just like, ugh, if this is what love is, I don't want it. It's not good. It's not good. Like basically he says that she like ruins love for him. Yeah. Not, not simply because that uh, he loves her and that everyone else he's not going to love because, you know, she is his one true pairing or whatever, but it's like, because seeing that, you're like, this is what love is? It's like this overgrown man baby and that you give up everything about yourself to please him. Like, all this stuff. That he's just like, ugh, I don't want it. Yeah. I'd rather be alone. I'd rather just write novels. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, I think that this is why we're saying he's an emotionally available person, man, but person, because he, the first time he meets her and um, her soon-to-be husband ex-husband well like they were just dating at that point like the scene that he encounters i mean what does he call him like in his head he says that he's inconsiderate um he's selfish right like yeah like he doesn't know the kinds of food that she likes he's only interested in uh receiving affection he doesn't seem to actually understand what it means to reciprocate care and she mm-hmm. seems to be completely oblivious to this. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't want this thing called love. If that's what it is, like, not interested, you know? Yeah. Um, and she believes that what he's that interested in is a series of one night stands. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, it's not like we do what you do, which is like some patriarchal definition of love and motherhood where like you know one person gives up everything is like becomes a nobody to clean the bathroom all the time right and like then be abandoned or like have a bunch of one night stands like that's a very very immature way to understand relationships and love and dating you know it's not like one or the other like uh, yeah 
I mean, she's, she's stunted in multiple ways, you know, like in the way that her like professional career died, her emotional development also died. Like with, with that partner, right? I shouldn't say partner, that guy, Um, you know, and I think that she just like, I think she thinks it's always like very physical with him. Like even when she's teasing him about his like past relationships, about like, you know, women that he has, like, are they coming over? It's like, it's always like, it's just like, it's not, um, I think that kind of like deep emotional investment because she never had it with her ex-husband. I think she just, she doesn't associate those things with um, love. And it's, and it's, it's why he is just like so much more like aware of what's going on. And I think when she, um, you know, when it comes out that, uh, that he has feelings for her, even though he's been planting many seeds, there are many episodes where, and he does it in like, like romantic ways. He does it in like very earnest ways. Like it's very clear though, that he's like, well, I understand what's happening. Do you like, like, it's like, it's a lot of like, so like they're walking along holding hands and he's like, do you remember that time that you bought me like a winter coat? Why do you think that you bought me a winter coat? And she's like, because it's cold and it was winter. And he's like, but there's lots of people in the world that could use coats. Why did you buy me a coat? And she's like, do you not like that coat? (laughs) And like, it was like the first thing that she bought with her first paycheck which is supposed to have like significance always, yes. right? Like in, the paycheck <laughs> in capitalist society. Like who do you, Ugh. who do you buy gifts for? Especially with your first paycheck. <laughs> is this a thing in the U S it's definitely a thing in Korea. So like, yeah. And she's just like, I don't know. Like, you know, the, the, her, like it's, she does really come off with this sense of flippancy that is really unnerving for me. And so it like kind yeah. of shocked me because I just wasn't really that into him physically ever the first few episodes. And then I was like, oh my God, he's so emotionally mature that I'm like, I, I like <laughs> this person. God damn. Like, man. I know. I know. I think it comes off kind of looking a bit too like cool. And you know, like he's like slick bachelor guy or something oh, yeah. in the first couple episodes it, or it seems that way. And then it's just like, you're like, wow. Tell us more about feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like your insights into life, which like apparently nobody else in the entire universe of television really has, you know, like at least like has of the kind that cancers fantasize about, you know. (laughs) Um, So we're getting near the end of our podcast, but like any final, uh, should we like, any final thoughts and also like preview to the next, to the next. I don't know. I mean, there's just so much to talk about still. This series is truly one of the most successful series we've watched in a long time. And by successful, we, we mean successful for our viewing. For our purposes. (laughs) No, we don't necessarily recommend it though. You know, I did enjoy, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. Um, It's true. I think it'll be really nice for us to talk really in depth about one episode and then all of the other characters that she comes across throughout. Yes. 
I actually think because we're we're obsessed with our gold standard, um, I think that it's also worth discussing how his dynamics are with other characters on the show because I yeah. actually think that's also you know examples of his um, emotional maturity. Uh, one of his coworker colleagues, uh, the an editor um, at the company has a crush on him and how he sort of handles that actually in the end is also a very emotionally mature. Oh, um, I'm so excited. You'll get to it. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, the fashion on the show from the main characters, nothing to write home about. In fact, a little embarrassing, but we did ask questions though about whether they were purposefully dressing her in a lot of different colors to make her appear younger. Yeah. But there, we did see like the appearance of a queer character who was not I a know. caricature. <laughs> um, she's like either a designer or the owner of like an upscale clothing boutique, and she looks fabulous. Yeah, she's um, great. It's really unfortunate that she is only in like two episodes. But I also felt like even though she's only in two episodes, it was just really nice to see see her almost just appear in their lives in that way that like oh yeah like she's a she exists in this universe and like yes she's not a caricature but like you know she's also not going to be forced into this like why because otherwise it's like what why would there like this is a mid-size publishing <laughs> firm you know full of people who are like a little bit definitely definitely like so heteronormative it's embarrassing so like yeah she appears but like maybe she's not a constant made actually made me feel kind of relieved in some ways that like they didn't try to force you know more of her for yeah. some, some other well and like it's not like her queer identity was just like oh really yeah you know it was just um, like she's queer so yeah and and she exists and then you know back to this other romance um which is the, the she does have a key moment though i do yeah. think that you know where she does kind of like point blank it's like you love this woman totally. and he's and he and he's just like who me and then it's like well i don't even know yet about my feelings and you know it's like it's a very emotionally honest totally scene yeah. as well so it does play a very important role even yes. if her time on the show is brief um, but we like him more maybe because of this. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next time. Yes. Send us all of the thoughts that you have, if you want, by text or email. You know, you know how to reach us. Because we know all of you. Because <laughs> we know all of you. So hello to all of you. We are done with planet Earth, but we love you. Like, literally. <laughs> this isn't one of those, like, I love you all. You're the best. It's like, no, no. This place is not the best. Chosen view only. <laughs> yeah, chosen view only. Hope you're well. Take care. Oh, and we'll see you soon. See you Bye. soon. Bye. Kadayo, Torahul Sanam Nayo. Uri Tashi Yedan Chorum Mario. So, Rodel Gajota.